morning. How's everybody doing? Oh, I'm having a great day. We are um, preaching on healing and then you hear healing stories all over the place, which is really nice and makes it sound like what you're saying actually does happen. I have now, however, lost my cable and I'm feeling very strange about it. What is happening? All right, okay, we're all good. So yeah, we are in a series called Signs, as Graham said, looking at the, the, what the kingdom of God looks like when God establishes his rule on earth. What does it look like? What do we expect to see? What can we do about it? And we've been doing the whole thing in pairs, as in week one, looking at what something Jesus did, and week two, kind of following that up with what and how should we respond to that in some way. And we're going to be doing that with healing this morning. And I just thought last week, Graham did a, I was inspired listening to him as he was speaking on this subject. I was in my car listening to his message, thinking this is so helpful for us to establish that Jesus does this and wants to do it. And I think even just hearing the couple of stories you've heard this morning that I've heard recently as well, I've probably helped you just going, yes, God, we we love that this happens. But what we're going to do this week is by looking at one of the most, possibly the most dramatic healing miracle that Jesus ever does, and then try and learn a little bit practically about how we should think about this subject and almost try and find a practical theology of healing from it. And we're going to be in John chapter 11. So if you have a Bible and can be in John 11, that would be great. My guess is that there is uh, no one here who doesn't think that if miraculous healing happens, that it's a good thing. I imagine all of us don't, none of us need persuading of that, I guess. If there is such a thing as miraculous healing, let's have some, I think. You know, if you are not a Christian and you think, oh, if there is a God and he did miraculous healing, that'd be great because it'd be nice to the person who's healed and it would make it easier to believe in God. And if you are a Christian, you'd think, yeah, well, it'd be nice for the person who's healed and easier to believe in God. If you're a compassionate person, you will think healing will mean that people's lives are better, richer, fuller, longer, happier. If you are a stingy, mean person, you will think healing will mean that there is no longer an NHS funding crisis. But no matter what your agenda or your issue, your personality, the the fact of healing, were it to happen, I imagine you're going to think that's a good thing. So I'm not going to try and persuade you of it. I guess you're already there. I think that what we might need persuading of is both that it happens, which we looked at a little bit last week, and as again, heard stories already on that, to that effect, but also what we are to think about it and to do about it very practically. And there'd be a few questions we might have, like why then does God heal? When does God heal? Through whom does God heal? How does God heal? And so on. And that's what we're going to be doing this morning, looking at John 11 to try and find some answers. So we're going to start with the question, why does God heal and begin reading this chapter? It's quite a long passage and we're going to read it in four chunks asking the questions why and when and who and how of those four chunks of scripture. Okay, so John 11 and verse one. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, Aren't there 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. 
After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. The disciples are not portrayed in the Gospels as the brightest individuals, are they? He's fallen asleep. It's like, well, in that case, he'll just wake up again, won't he? What do we need to go there for? Lazarus! No, 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 no. I mean, he's died, you clowns. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So let's stop there and ask our first question. Why does God heal? Why does it happen? And I think this passage gives at least three answers. If we were to go back to the first and second page, verse four actually, so the second page, Jesus heals people for the glory of God, right? When Jesus heard it, he said, this illness doesn't lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. One of the things that motivates Jesus to heal people is the glory of God because as In those stories, the one that we probably heard a few minutes ago, there is something glorifying to God when somebody stands up and says, this was the condition I was in, this is what it meant for me, I had it for two years, God broke in, totally changed, and I want to give glory to God and everybody claps and cheers. That gives glory to God. Jesus loves it when people see the glory of God. In this story, I don't want to spoil the end, but Lazarus does end up being risen from the dead. But in this story, there is glory to God that comes as the people observe and celebrate and see the weight and splendor and beauty of the one who has authority over death. And God loves that. Jesus wants the glory of God. And it's actually how the story ends as well. Jesus says, didn't I tell you? If you believed, you'd see the glory of God. So Jesus heals, number one, for the glory of God. Number two, because he loves people. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, Now that's an interesting so, one of the strangest single words in the New Testament, I think, because what it says, in fact, read it through, Jesus loved these people, so he stayed two days longer where he was, which sounds odd. We would expect Jesus loved them, so he instantly rushed over there to fix it. But instead, Jesus loved them, so he stayed two days longer. And what John, telling us this story, wants us to see is, Jesus is motivated in raising Lazarus from the dead and in delaying so that Lazarus dies in the first place in both cases in the delay and in the miracle Jesus is motivated by love for this family and that is puzzling to us because we would assume I think that if Jesus loves you he will heal you now all the time but actually John wants us to see even the delay as well as the miracle are loving acts of God and Jesus then will subsequently heal him as a act of love for this man and this family So Jesus heals for the glory of God. He heals out of love for people. And if you go down to verse 15, Jesus heals to build faith because he wants people to believe. And I think that's true of people who are not followers of Jesus yet. He heals people to build faith amongst someone who doesn't believe now and sees something and goes, wow. But also amongst those of us who do believe that we might come to a greater confidence of the fact that he is alive. So Lazarus has died and for your sake... I'm glad I wasn't there. Notice, I'm glad I wasn't there to heal Lazarus, not really for his sake, because he's had to die and then be raised again, which is a little odd. But I'm glad for your sake that you may believe. Do you see, his motive there is, I want your faith to be established by seeing something wonderful. And if you, have I just healed him straight away now? You aren't even there. You wouldn't have seen it. I want you to believe. I want you to trust God. 
And so I'm going to heal for that motive as well. So among many other things, Jesus heals for the glory of God and out of love for people and to build faith in people, both those who believe already and those who don't. So do you want to see more healing? If you do, cherish those motives. Treasure them in your heart. Say, Lord, I want to develop more of a desire for the glory of God and a love for other people and a desire that people come to faith. I want those things to be in my heart so that that's what spills out of me. The chances are you will see more healing if you do and even if you don't, you will become more like Jesus as you do it anyway. So what's not to like? Now I have sometimes prayed for healing, being honest, out of bad motives. I've prayed for healing out of embarrassment and obligation because someone comes, you're a pastor, you pray for me to be healed and you think, I'm not, someone, I haven't always prayed out of, there'd be people in this room I haven't prayed for out of those motives I've just described. And actually when we do, we find both, more, we're more likely to see healing, but also that we have got Christ-like desires anyway, which will help us when we come to pray. But even if we don't have to pray for anyone to be healed, because everyone's fine, we'll still benefit from them. So cherish a love for the glory of God and a love for people and for faith to be built. That's why, I think, at least three reasons why God heals. The second question I want to ask of the next bit is, when does God heal? Which might sound trivial, but it really isn't. It's very important. When does God heal? Next bit. Verse 16. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas has the gift of encouragement. Thomas is the kind of guy you want on a picnic. It's all right, as we go, we're all going to die. That's what we want. Let's do it. Thomas is a, a misery guts in his own time. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Now, the second question I want us to ask of this passage is, when does God heal? Which, as I say, might sound trivial, but it's really important because ultimately, God heals everyone. In the end, God heals everyone, all of you. God, you will be physically healed eventually. Christians have always affirmed that. Of all believers, right, in the creed, it's written into the sort of articles of faith that the church has said for 17 centuries, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. That is, I believe that all those who die in faith will one day receive completely new bodies and never die again and live forever and experience absolute incorruptible life and no sickness ever. So Christianity involves the commitment to the belief that every single Christian will be healed of everything forever one day. Right? That's good news. You guys look like, it looks like a mortuary out there, but that sounds nice to me. I'm quite excited about it. Way, okay, I'm very pleased about the idea, right? And Martha knows that, right? Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day, because actually this isn't just a Christian belief, it's a Jewish one as well. So she's already convinced of that, and she doesn't know Jesus is going to come back to life again, but she knows it already. And so the question for her is not whether God will heal her brother. The question is when God will heal her brother. I know he's going to be healed then, 
But Lord, I was kind of hoping you'd do something about it now, is what she's saying. Do you see? Uh, Your brother will rise again. Yeah, I know, eventually, but I want it now. And Jesus, in the end, says, you don't understand. That's exactly what's going to happen. And, of course, raises him. But at this point in the story, she doesn't know when it's going to happen, but she does know it will happen. Now, as parents, we have that experience with our children all the time, if you're a parent. As parents, there are some requests to which you say no. Some you say, "Hmm, maybe, I'm not sure. Some to which you say yes. And then many to which you say yes, but not now. Or wait. Right? So my eight-year-old asks for lots of stuff, as he should. Um, he asks some things I say maybe he says I want to watch this new TV show it's very fighty and I think alright oh, he's very honest my son he's probably a bit more honest than he would he would be if he knew how much we wouldn't therefore give him more things if he wasn't perhaps like he hasn't really learnt lying which is lovely so he comes and says oh, it's very fighty this programme okay maybe we'll watch it with you and see and then sometimes he asks things and it's like no so his you say what, what are your favourite hobbies annoying Anna Right? And that's actually the language he'll use. He's upstairs, you can hear Anna going, uh, and then he, and you go, Zeke, what are you doing? And he goes, annoying Anna. And you say, Zeke, stop it. And he goes, but I love it. He's just without guile. It's lovely. He can't lie. So he's just very, um, there's some things you say, no, that is not something we're going to let you do. But there's an awful lot of things about which you, you say yes, like, can I have this? And you give him something now. There's an awful lot of things about which you say yes, but not yet. Right? So if he wants to go swimming... Actually, the answer in some ways isn't no. I mean, we might not be able to go to swimming now because it might be the wrong day or maybe because you, you know, at the moment his knee's in a bandage, you can't go now. But yes, you will be able to, but you just need to wait. Or can I have dinner? Well, no, not right now because it's 2 p.m., but yes, you can just in a few hours. And when God is asked for healing, it's always yes or wait. It's never no. That's the weird thing about the doctrine of the resurrection, isn't it? That in the end, God never says no to a request for healing. He only says yes now, or yes in a few days, or yes in eternity. But he never says no. And that's really encouraging. Because what Jesus is doing here is bringing a future, certain healing in the future into the present. He's doing what we've, he's bringing more, as we heard last week, more of the not yet now. Fancy word term for it, inaugurated eschatology. That is the end being inaugurated in the now. That's what we're looking, that's what he's doing. And there's this expectation Martha has. She said, I know he'll rise then, but I want him to rise now. And the delight about praying for healing is that we are not praying, questioning whether or not God is going to do it. All we are questioning is when God is going to do it. And that's huge because it means you can pray with certainty that God wills to heal a person. So you don't have to equivocate when you're praying. Lord, I know you might not like healing very much. I know this person, this poor person is obviously very sick and probably the chances are you're not going to heal them at all, but it'd be really lovely if you did because it would get me off the hook from a slightly awkward prayer anyway, Lord, please, somewhere, if it's your... We don't have to do that. We say, Lord, you will certainly heal this person one day. Praise God. I'm asking that it would be now, which is what Martha wanted. Even if it isn't, I know it will certainly be true in the future, which is what Martha knew. And actually it might which is what Martha experienced, be in four days' time. All right, so Martha prayed for it and actually got it a bit later than she wanted it, but she got it and she was pretty happy. But our motive there, as we're praying, we are, we are aware already of the certainty that God will do what we're asking. We just don't know when he will do it. And that gives us wonderful boldness in prayer because we can pray with absolutely, absolute certainty that God will heal this person. 
and then ask, Lord, please, because you're, you told us to pray this way. This is one of the five or six things you said, make sure you pray this way. One of them was, may your kingdom come and your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. So I know you want me to pray this now. But even if it isn't, I thank you that it will certainly be. And that's a wonderful way to pray, that knowledge of when being the question rather than whether. Third question, through whom does God heal? Verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she'd said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus hadn't yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's exactly the same thing her sister said. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Third question is, through whom does God heal? And the answer in this passage is obviously through Jesus, obviously. But look at who he is for a moment. Look at the who. Look at Jesus and what he's like and why God heals through him, right? Verse 25, you go back to the start of the text. Who Jesus is, I am the resurrection and the life, right? Verse, 20, uh, verse 27, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, Right? Verse, 30, verse 28, the teacher is looking for you. We're forming a huge amount of, a massive picture of who Jesus is, even in these few verses. Verse 33, in a minute, he is the one who is outraged in spirits at death. Right? This, this translation here, I don't very often do this, but I think this is an under-translation here. He was deeply moved in his spirit. I think the translators have done that because they know that he's about to weep, and so they are emphasizing the sadness, deeply moved. But actually, this, ver this verb is often one that you would use to describe enragedness or outrage. It's also the verb you use to describe the snorting of a horse. A horse is about to get ready for battle and it goes, and you think, that Jesus is, I'm not saying he's doing that because Jesus isn't a horse, but you understand, like, there is a sense of, an outrage. D.A. Carson, a wonderful commentator on John's gospel, he says, this word invariably suggests anger, outrage, or emotional indignation. And he says it's inexcusable to reduce the emotional upset to the effects of empathy or pain or the like. That is, Jesus would cry at a funeral like I do. But what he's saying when he is deeply moved in his spirit, this word is saying more than that. It's not saying that he's sad or that he's grieving, which is probably how it reads in English. He's saying that he is angry about the fact that death has broken into this family as well as sad that the family is suffering. Do you see that? So it adds something to it. Jesus is outraged at death. Then in verse 35, we of course see that he weeps as well. And in verse 36, that he loves. So in just this little passage, which isn't really about the identity of Christ in some ways, apart from resurrection, we find that Jesus 
God made flesh is the resurrection and the life and the Messiah and the king and the teacher and the one who hates death and weeps at gravesides and loves people. And he is the one through whom God heals. Having said which, since he ascended into heaven and poured out his spirit, how and rather where is the body of Jesus today? And the answer is right here and right down the road in Centro and in 60 other places meeting around this town today and in thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands of places around the world where twos and threes and fifties and fifty thousands are meeting to praise Jesus. That's where the body of Jesus is. So in, if you're in Palestine in the first century, you said, where do I go to get healed? You go to the, find Jesus and lay hold of his body. That's what you do now. But his body is far more spread out than it was. And that is, in other words, a mandate for us as those who are Jesus' body on earth to be the ones who pray for people to be healed and see healing come and see the kingdom break in. That's something all believers can and should do. And I think it's particularly something that comes about through two groups of people in the church, but not exclusively. Those groups are people who have the gift of healing and you can usually tell because either you see people healed or you feel this rise of faith and indignation and in you. You go, I want that person to be healed. I'm gonna go and pray. But also through elders in the church who James says, you should go and seek the elders to anoint you with oil and pray over you in the name of the Lord. And those are the two groups in the church, people with the gift of healing, surge of faith for it and people who are in leadership and eldership over you and you go to those kinds of people particularly but that's not an exclusive club partly because any, God can heal through anybody at any time and he does so those that might be specific. in a moment what we'll do is we'll ask people to come forward if they want prayer if they can and then we'll gather people who want to pray people with the gift of healing and people who are in leadership over you and we will do all of those things and trust that God's going to heal people that's how Jesus' body heals today through the church that's through whom he heals and then finally how does God heal verse 38 then Jesus deeply moved again came to the tomb it was a cave and a stone lay against it Jesus said take away the stone Martha the sister of the dead man said to him Lord by this time there will be an odour for he's been dead four days Jesus said to her Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around so that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. I love that Jesus is like that, don't you? Jesus, thank you that you are the one who heals with a word. You speak and death itself cannot hold someone back from walking out of a tomb and celebrating life. Lord, your, your word is enough. You speak, it happens. Lazarus come out and that's the end of the conversation. We thank you the powers of darkness cannot hold a candle to you. We thank you that you are Lord king of death resurrection and the life thank you i love that jesus is this kind of person and so we'll just look at this last bit how does god heal and hopefully by looking at healing this way we'll see that that is bound up with the why and the when and the who but the climax of the story does show at least four things very practically about how jesus actually does healing the first one is that he heals 
God heals in response to faith. Right? Verse 40, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? Now, some of us hear that kind of thing and immediately feel nervous because we think, I've seen that twisted and abused to make it sound like the person who is being prayed for needs to have faith that they might be healed. And if they don't, then they won't be healed. So it's basically, it shows you don't have enough faith if you weren't healed. Now, that is the one conclusion we cannot possibly draw from this story because the guy in question is dead, right? So if you think that healing is all about how much faith you have, he's dead. He has no faith at all. He has even less faith than you, right? So let's not draw that conclusion of all things, right? And so let's also put in context, therefore, that Jesus, we don't have to worry about thinking, oh, is it 100% connection between faith and healing? No, there isn't. Yet at the same time, if you read through the Gospels, you will find a very high degree of connection. It's not cause and effect directly, but a very high degree of connection between faith and healing because God heals in response to faith. Doesn't mean you, your percentage of faith goes up with your percentage of healing or anything like that. It's not maths. But Jesus heals in response to faith. So don't throw the baby out of the bathwater because some people on the God channel say silly things. They do. Leave them there saying silly things. You trust God and pray. And God will bring healing. He just may not necessarily do it in quite the one-to-one correspondence way that we might like. God heals in response to faith. He also, verse 41 to 2, heals in response to prayer. Which again, you'd think was obvious. But Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Notice the past tense. That's not, although this is true, he's not saying, thank you that you hear me now. He does, but what he's really saying is, thank you that you have heard me. That is, I have been praying about this already and you heard my prayers and I know you do. And in fact, I'm only really saying this, not for you or me, because we're kind of God, but so that these people listening might hear me saying it and learn from it. All right, so God heals in response to prayer. You want to see more people healed? Pray for more people to be healed. I think it was John Wimber who said, I would rather pray for a hundred and see one healed than pray for none and see none healed. And actually what sometimes happens is we pray for someone, they don't get healed, we feel embarrassed and then we stop asking. Now this story, if nothing else, just sort of said, the one who prays more is likely to see more healing. That's just a, that's not, again, not a one-to-one correspondence. (gasps) They see lots of healing. They must be someone who prays all, all, every hour of every day. Not necessarily. But what it does mean, you want to see people healed, you need to pray, and so do I. Third thing, so he heals in response to faith, to prayer. Third thing is he heals with a word. Lazarus, come out. He heals with a word. In scripture, commands, declarations have power. The word has power. You speak it. That doesn't, by the way, mean that this is the formula that we're always supposed to use. It'd be a particularly odd thing to say to someone who had a cold, like to the person, Graham, come out. So like, really? Now? What's coming out of what here? That's not the right language. And so this isn't a formula. It's not saying you must say these words. And sometimes I see teaching like that and say, well, what you need to do is you can't pray for the sickness. You've got to speak to the sickness. And then other people say, no, no, no. You've got to speak to the demon behind the sickness and all this. Just, I don't think Jesus is trying to teach us a formula with any of this stuff. He uses different phrases throughout the gospels. But what he does do is he does it with words. So it's good to pray quietly, but there is a moment for praying out loud as well. In Jesus' name, Lord, heal this person. Now be healed in Jesus' name, or whatever it might be. It's good to speak, and Jesus uses speech when he's healing people. And then the fourth thing, and this is a funny thing to end on, but it's actually very important. The fourth thing, I want to draw out of this phrase, unbind him and let him go. Jesus doesn't stop his ministry with the healing itself, 
The healing actually is a means of getting a person into a new stage of freedom and blessing rather than the thing that I was trying to achieve because otherwise I'd have failed. So he says, unbind him and let him go. He does that all the time in the Gospels. He, the, the healing story builds to the healing, at which point we go, yay! And Jesus goes, and now follow up. So unbind him and let him go. Little girl, arise. Now, give her something to eat. You have been healed. Be healed. You are clean, leprous man. Now, go and show yourself to the priest, because otherwise you won't be allowed to go and worship at the temple. He does it again and again. Now, okay, you've been healed. Great. Yeah, you are healed. Your faith has healed you. Now, go and stop sinning. Jesus is, you read the healing stories, they're often like that. Here's the healing, and now here's a thing I want to do to follow up the healing because I care more about the person than I do about the miracle. And may I suggest there is some important application there. Not just in this situation, although that would have been odd, wouldn't it? Right, you go to the graveside, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus goes, covered in grave clothes. Really happy about it, but kind of wrapped up like a mummy. And the whole village is going, he's healed, he's healed, he's healed. And the guy's going, oh right, unbind him and let him go. So it's a very practical thing, but you kind of need to do it. You would hope that his sisters would have eventually done that, but that's, there's an application there. But actually more seriously, in our context, this does matter. Because we need to care more about the person than about the healing or the miracle. And sometimes, out of embarrassment, we back off, particularly if the person isn't healed, but sometimes even if they are. So we pray, Lord, heal them, and then we aren't quite sure what to do next. So we kind of... And then walk away. And this person's like, I now feel like you care more about me having been healed than you do about me. And probably, if you were to have a conversation with a long-term sick person in this church, they might tell you that story. Many would that that does sometimes happen. I don't think people resent it, but it does happen. We need to make sure that our heart is for the person more than for the miracle. And that will often mean asking for the miracle, but then it will mean following it up with, is there anything I can help you with? How do you feel now? Is there anything that I could do? Do you still have your grave clothes on? Can I help you take them off? Or whatever it might be, right? It's important to follow up the person. So we're gonna respond by praying for people to be healed. And Faye and the band are gonna come out. And we're going to pray for people to be healed now. Why? Because we want to see God glorified and people loved and faith built. When? Now. We know it'll happen eventually. We want to pray for it now, in the here and now. Through whom? Through Jesus. The resurrection and the life, the Christ, the teacher, the one who loves people and hates death and cries at gravesides. But also, very practically, through anybody who would like to pray, people with a gift of healing, elders in the church and so on. And how are we going to do it? We're going to do it with faith, in response to prayer, through speech, and with follow-up. So if you're able to, let's stand, shall we? In a moment, we're going to invite people forward to be prayed for, to receive healing, and others to come and pray with them. But first, we're going to pray together, and then we're going to sing and declare the goodness of God. Father, you are our healer. When the kingdom has fully come, nobody will be sick, physically or mentally, anymore ever but you told us to pray that your kingdom would come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven so father please stretch out your hand to heal people right now in the mighty name of jesus amen amen let's sing and then in a moment we will pray for people